I was in the military before, did a Rock War 2003. They said, would you go out to Morocco to do a film with Matt Damon? Are you a model? Uh, no. <laughs> Michael Jackson, Rita Ora, Kendall Jenner. These are some of the individuals that my next podcast guest, Simon Newton, worked for and protected. He used to be in the military. He was a close protection individual. And now he's a business person, also becoming an actor. Be happy, never content, and make sure you're subscribing to the channel. Right, welcome back to the podcast, Steve Sully study here at the Gallery Woodbury House over in Mayfair. The man I've got in front of me, let me just read this out to you. Private security. Yep. Actor. Yep. Model. Kind of. <laughs> bodyguard. <laughs> business person. I mean, like when you when 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 you say one of those titles or one of those descriptions about someone's career, it's it's a big thing, right? And it's certainly as a man, it's like a badge of honour to have one of them. And you've got multiple badges and some could say that is basically describing the real life James Bond <laughs> so anyway long introduction Simon Newton thank you very much for your time looking forward to the conversation thanks for having me no worries so where do we begin I mean uh, I'm going to read this little list Michael Jackson Kendall Jenner Rita Ora Bella Headed um, which one of those was the most fun to protect uh most fun for me was probably bella but then bella was the one i probably spent the most time with um so we had the opportunity to go and do more things i guess someone like michael jackson you're not gonna have a lot of fun it's quite a busy job hmm. not because of him he's fine but you know because of just his crowd uh, you know all his followers and everything else he had at the time weren't even called followers then actually because he didn't have that sort of thing yeah. around then but you know his fan base it was um it's, all, it's full on all the time but with the others you could relax sometimes yeah so I, I imagine like all things in business whether it's doing podcasts whether it's building a company property portfolio or protecting high profile individuals you kind of build up to it so you don't really I, I imagine you don't jump in into the into the into the deep end how do you go about thinking or protecting someone like Michael Jackson um, it's a good question because there isn't really any set way and I think when I first um, sort of decided to do the private security work I never thought I'd be looking after Michael Jackson it wasn't I never thought that you know I want to I want to be a bodyguard and look after Michael Jackson um, so I don't, I don't there isn't any in all of these people there isn't any one set route they all you get books by other security companies you get booked by model agencies by film production companies by record labels um, or you might get books by PAs, managers, or by the, by the person themselves. So there's so many different routes you can get into to be able to be booked by these people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, to say you do this and this, it isn't really a set route. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, I mean, all of these people I just mentioned here is only a snippet of the, the, the type of individuals that you've actually uh, worked alongside or for. Mm. And... I mean, these are high profile people, very, very high profile. I mean, once upon a time when Michael Jackson was alive was probably the most successful pop artist in the world and probably the most famous person. I mean, probably more more famous than the queen or the current king. Um, dealing with these type of personalities, I mean, that must come with its own kind of problems and hurdles and challenges in itself, Simon. Michael Jackson was my first... Um, was my first bodyguard job in London. Uh, I've been working in the Middle East a long time before that um, as a close protection officer, but if in London, Michael Jackson was my first one. So for my first celebrity as well. So it was quite, a, um, I wouldn't say it was an eye opener. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. And at the time I didn't really appreciate the job. I was working in Afghanistan for the Foreign Commonwealth Office at the time. And it just so happened that his visit was at the same time I was home on leave. Um, and I took took the job and I kind of half wanted to be there, half didn't because I was on leave. I didn't really want to work. But then um, obviously, you know, I did I did the job and it, 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 and it was an eye opener. But for me, that was my first, um, my first job was with, with Michael Jackson in London. And I mean, for the first job, it's quite, um, it can be a tricky one, let's put it like that. It's a lot yeah. different to how we used to operate in the Middle East. 
I mean, like people like the, the Michael Jacksons or there's, there's other pop stars out there today which have got a, not just a fan base and a following, but a kind of cult kind of uh, group that will follow them off the face of the earth if, yeah, if yeah. they ask them to. I mean, they, they are really that dedicated and that passionate. And sometimes that must come with a bit of fret because these people are trying to get so close to their idol or their or their or their someone that they admire like like a Michael Jackson or, or a Ronaldo or a Messi or somebody like mm. that that they can actually put themselves and your client in danger. Did you ever um, perhaps come across like any scenarios where your client like Michael Jackson or like a Kendall Jenner was was in serious danger because of the fans? Um, yeah, so not not in uh, not not a direct threat from an individual, but yeah, from fans. I mean, especially Jackson, he, he did have people following himself all around the world. So every country he would go to, normally the first one or two lines of his fans, which are outside the hotel, they were in Japan with him a week before. They were in you know America somewhere, and then they were in Canada, and then they were in Brazil with him. Do you know what I mean wherever he used to go? So um, they were diehard fans. We had five or six taxis which were fans put on meters, black cabs, just so they could jump in at any time. And the meter was running all day, but just so they sat there and waited for him to follow us. So, I mean, that, that, it did, it was with him. It, not so much with the others. It, crowd's always a problem with any celebrity, you know, any A-lister. But um, with Jackson, we had five people on the job, which to be honest with you, we probably could have done with a couple more. Um, all the other people I've always worked on my own. It's the only yeah. job I've done with extra people, but crowd's always a problem, but definitely with Jackson, yeah. The, um, I mean, even in New York, when one of the Beatles was it, who was shot by one of the fans mm. um, by Central Park there, forgot actually which one it is now, but mm. um, I mean, it just shows you how extreme some of these fans can be. I mean, you, you assume a fan loves, loves you and adores you, but that love and that affection, because they can't have the person, for example, yeah. they can suddenly turn violent and end up murdering someone. Did that ever go through your mind? Um, not really. I mean, you you got to be you got to be aware that those those sort of situations can happen. I think most A-list celebrities, at one stage or another, have a stalker. Now, whether that's just online or you know f physical, um, they, they normally have a stalker. And sometimes, if you get stalkers um, in a particular country, they don't tend to follow them around the world. But some will, some died ones will. Um, so if you're aware, you're normally made aware if there is a stalker active at a certain period of time. Um, you just have, to, just have to bear it in mind. You can't really sort of worry about it too much. Otherwise, you, you turn into sort of not wanting to go out at all. Yeah. Um, Someone like a Kendall Jenner, mm. obviously very, very famous for being on TV and, and, and everything else. Is Kendall Jenner exactly how she is in real life as she is on TV? Um, I'll be honest, I haven't actually seen her on TV. <laughs> I don't really watch TV. The first time I ever looked after Kendall, I had to Google to see who she was. Um, so... And what was what was her fan sort of following like? Well, she she was younger then, obviously, because it's quite a few years ago now. So it was it was a younger crowd. Mm. But I mean, for her as, as a as a girl, she was just a young girl. Mm. Yeah, she's just a very successful young girl. Yeah. It, I, I didn't see anything particularly um, different. But to compare it to the TV show, for instance, I would I've never seen it, so I, I wouldn't know. And uh, Rio Ora, I mean, she's she's a she's a household name, uh, not just in the UK but around the world. I believe she was signed at a young age by Jay Z, who's obviously yeah. a very very successful artist himself and, and a billionaire. And she's clearly got a huge huge fan base globally. What was the challenges in looking after Rio Ora? Rio was the same in terms of crowd. Um, not not everywhere we went depended where we went. She was busy whenever she, cause she, she did, I wasn't with Rita Ora every single day. It was only when, when she needed it. So a lot of these people, they don't have it all the time. Jackson's obviously a different story. But um, majority, they only have it when it's, when it's needed. Um, and it's not always needed. So, but with Rita, I was always very busy. I was out in Europe with Rita, Milan Fashion Week we did, and was always going up and down the UK where she was singing. So she was a very busy, um, very active yeah. artist. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about Jackson being different and that's probably because of well I think the world has shifted right I think back then there wasn't really there wasn't show social media uh, really and I think being famous back then is slightly different to being famous today mm. um, so you, you, you mentioned that 
you alluded to the fact that he was a lot more 24-7 with security. Therefore, it gives me the assumption that you probably may have got to know him a bit more personally. Is that is that correct? Um, not really. Uh, only reason because the amount of people he has around him. You know, there was five security, and then you've got um, agents, nannies, you know, all, all, all the people in between, chauffeurs. hair, makeup, chauffeurs, drivers, clothing people, you know, uh, wardrobe. So uh, I've never worked with someone where he's had so many people around them all the time. We did talk to him, and I spoke to him a few occasions, and we had, we had a chat about what maybe he was going to be doing that day very, very briefly. But compared to the others, probably I spoke to him the least. Okay. Okay. What I was getting to is when that public announcement was made that Michael Jackson had died, and I think it was just before This Is It tour, mm-hmm. when he was going to tour the UK, and this was going to be final act and, and final send off. Yeah. How did you respond, Simon, when you heard that Michael Jackson had, had died? I wasn't surprised. Yeah, right. I, I wasn't surprised because. It, he, I don't. I personally, from when I was with him in two thousand and six, um, he he wasn't in very great health then. I just didn't see how. What, what was it? Two thousand and ten was it? Mm, Can't yeah, remember now. Like that. That. Um, but he was suddenly going to do all these tours, um, and not only I think I even doubled the tours as well at one stage. I was through selling the tickets. Um, and I just remember thinking, how, how on earth is he ever going to do that, you know? And when you say he wasn't in good health, is that because the way he was looking, the way he was sounding, his, his body language, what, what, what was a telltale sign that he wasn't looking his voice, healthier? His voice, I think. He couldn't, he, you know, he, he, we, I took him to the World Music Awards um, and he was there and he had a tribute group doing one of his songs. And obviously everyone was well disappointed because they'd all gone along thinking they're going to see Michael Jackson, which they did, but they didn't see him sing. Uh, it's probably the first time that Michael Jackson's ever been to an event and some, uh, a Michael Jackson doubles come on and sung his... It, do you know what I mean? So everyone was a bit disappointed. So I knew then that things weren't quite right because of the performer that he was. I would imagine it had been very hard for him to let that happen. Um, Hmm. So, yeah, I think it's sort of as far back as then, I think things maybe started to go, hmm. you know, sort of a bit different for him. The, uh, I, in my personal opinion on him, even though I never, ever, ever got to meet him, was phenomenal, phenomenal performer. Um, very, very talented, but that talent was harnessed by him and his family by working on it day in, day out. And, and at some point, it's probably his father pushing him to the absolute limit. Many argue that he probably lost out a lot of his childhood. And then some people or some groups or the media maybe class him as a bit strange and a little bit, I don't know, childlike because he didn't have a childhood and therefore he was always trying to live that inadvertently via other people and stuff. Yeah. You getting to know him a little bit, definitely more so than the general public, including mm. me. Again, I, I think he was phenomenal. I think it was really important for pop and for music and for the culture I think without him there isn't there isn't the artists that we know today in their form I'm not saying the artists today wouldn't be successful but maybe didn't wouldn't have the slight edge, edge. that Michael Jackson may have given them indirectly or uh, directly or whatever but you do see frequently like you know he was a bit of a strange character like maybe behind the scenes was he was he strange or was he actually a normal human being um, I don't know. I, I've, I try not to use the word strange sometimes because I think each to their own. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, he certainly didn't do anything where you sort of went, well, what's he doing? It wasn't, it wasn't like that. But he was a bit, he was a very quiet, subdued person, really. Um, I remember the fans always used to want to give him presents. So we used to take a few off and to take in for him. Um, couldn't take him, it was too many. But, um, and I remember once he opened up a book. Anyway, he was so excited about this book and, you know, it was great. And I thought, blimey, you know, that must be a good book, that. And I looked at it, it was a book of plain paper. And I just thought, I, 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 you know, I'd appreciate my fans giving me something, but you can't go, oh, wow, looking through plain pages, <laughs> pieces of paper, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and even the cover, you know, it's plain blue cover. When like some, because what some of the fans used to do, they used to put pictures on the front of the books because they want to try and, you know, be recognised by him as much as possible. So a lot of them did that. But this particular one, it was just a blue book with lined, I think it was just lined, plain lined paper inside. And I just thought, then, you know, 
I don't know what's a little bit more strange with that, like his reaction or the person actually giving it to him well, I know. as well, well. You could argue like tracks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a bit odd. Um, and just, I, I mean, look, I, again, yeah, my, I mean, my mum went to see him in concert and she absolutely adores his, and I, and I, think, to, I think his music today is absolutely timeless. I think in 50 years, 100 years time, our children's children children are going to be rocking still to yeah, yeah, yeah. his music and even rap and any any of the drill and grime and stuff which is coming through there is hints and moments in those tunes which are definitely you know uh you know you know they're, they're purported from 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 michael jackson's uh music they're doing a show um in the west end next year are they yeah i don't yeah. know how long it's on for but they're doing a show michael jackson yeah show. that that would be that that would be very cool um the money that he had, obviously we know about his fame and his stardom because everywhere he went, I mean, there was even a, I think he shut down Harrods or maybe went there of an evening so we could shop privately on his own without being, without being disturbed. And you can actually imagine that. Um, did you ever see the amount of, like, was there a moment where you thought, geez, this guy's got serious amount of money? Was there any, like, a moment where you thought Michael Jackson has got far too much money than he knows what to do with? Um, no, I'll tell you for why. That wouldn't have cost him anything. Um, someone like how, I mean, we shut down Topshop, Oxford Street, back in the day when it was open, because um, he got an outfit in there, and we went down there at, like, midnight. So it, it got all opened up, especially, and everyone was, anyone who was left got surfed out. Um, but the, the store, you think of the, you imagine having Michael Jackson, I mean, even more so now, but you imagine adding turning up here to your gallery, you think the exposure your gallery is going to get, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't feel like you need to, um, you know, sort of want money from him to turn up or, or you might even give him a piece of art, you know, I mean, because it's Michael Jackson. So a lot of those things, they don't cost people anything. Now, not to say he didn't have a lot of money. Of course, he must have done. I don't know what he would have had. But um, for things like closing Howard's and that most of the time, he wouldn't have had to pay. Like if you and me wanted to close Howard's, we probably could as well if we gave him 10 million for half an hour or something stupid, do you know what I mean? But people like that, they tend to accommodate for free, really. Yeah, yeah, understood. Okay, so... Before you got into close protection, my understanding is that you were you were in the military. 2006, actually, close protection officer with the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office, and you went to Afghanistan. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that how you started your kind of close protection military background, or is there a story before that? No, so I was in the military before. I did a right war 2003. And what um, was your what was your role there? Did I was I in the Royal, mechanic? I was, no, no, I was in the Royal Signals. Okay. okay. Um, and when I was out there, a friend of mine who used to be in the army had left and he'd gone back out there. It's just after the war phase and the rebuild, sort of the Iraqi reconstruction phase was starting. Um, and he got a job with one of the sort of first private security companies to work back out in Iraq. And I bumped into him at Basra Air Station in southern Iraq. And he said to me, oh, what are you doing out here? I said, I'm with the army. He said, we're doing the army. You want to come and do this job? And he told me about it. Obviously, the money was a lot better and conditions and everything else. And um I kind of, he done me a CV, sent it to an office in London here. Mm -hmm. And uh, they kind of offered me a job, but realised I was still in the military, so they can't use me while I'm still in the military. Um, and then I left subsequently, uh, which is why I didn't do very long in the military. If it weren't for that job, I would have stayed in, I used to like it. Um, and I went back out to Iraq about a month after leaving, and, and uh, I, was, I was working as a private security contractor in Iraq. So I did three years there. And then I went to the Foreign Commonwealth Office after and did the two years in Afghanistan. Okay. okay. That's how my security bodyguard thing started. The, the progression to, to celebrities and having a company in London and all the rest of it, that kind of happened after my time of working out in the Middle East. We, we were just talking, right, before we kicked off the interview, and I said I got a bit of a, a fascination with, like, the military, REF. I mean, I, I, got, I, I live near an airport called Biggin Hill, and when I was a kid, there used to be always, every single year, the, uh, the air show. Harriet Jump Jets, Typhoons, well, the Typhoons are now, uh, Tornadoes, um, Tomcats. I mean, I'm into all the, all, the, all the big jets and stuff. Like there's just, a, I don't know why, like a weird like, obsession with them. I just, there's a, there's a connection there. And now I go to Royal uh, Air Tattoo. Mm -hmm. And... I just love it, you know, and then I start looking at all different kind of military things that are affiliated to it. 
and I've watched programs on like snipers and I said American Snipers one of my favourite films yeah, Bradley yeah. Cooper etc et and over time that you actually realise that certain elements that you affiliate with like violence murder guns etc actually that is a small part of it but the bigger part of it is there's, there's other agendas but I can imagine like with your with the bodyguard in close protection a big part of it is not to get into the fights because you haven't done your job right and it's about diffusing those scenarios before it happens but when you're in a war zone like Iraq mm. there's no ifs or buts it's it's a war zone. You're 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 there to kill or or to be killed. How did that kind of shape your your kind of headspace when you, when you were there? Um, well, obviously in countries like that, we carry firearms for starters, and there's obviously a lot more of, of us on the team. I think there's twelve man teams we were running roughly in Afghanistan and slightly less in Iraq. But um, one thing it did do me very well was whatever I was going to do after those two jobs probably wasn't ever going to be as rough if you like mm. um, so certainly working in Europe and uh, particularly in London back then um, it, it you know I didn't really worry about too much to be honest it made yeah. the job a bit easier for me yeah I um, I saw here 2009 British military crude oil tankers you were protecting um, I think some of the individuals affiliated with those type of companies and funny enough i used to work for a sales company many 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 years ago and one of the clients i ended up getting on board was a guy that had a security company he used to protect people that used to work on the oil lines i think in like nigeria and places yeah, like that yeah, yeah and he said he used to i used to pick his brain all the time about it he said we used to protect sometimes the people there by ramming some of the so-called kidnappers with the cars because mm. they would just steam up the the engineers to try and kidnap them and yeah. hold them for ransom. And what we used to do is basically run them over. Um, it Was it as kind of brutal and as kind of um, raw, raw, raw as that at some point, Simon? Uh, it was a bit different for me because oh, we, we, so we was protecting LPG and all tankers predominantly. Um, so we used to put same, same sort of thing, but we was protecting the vessel from being kidnapped, if you like, okay. with all its... Pirated cr- cr- Yeah, stuff. basically pirates, yeah, with all its crew and everything with it. So we was at sea a lot. Um, we, we used to do all sorts of... My, my, my main ones were LPG and oil tankers, but we used to do car transporters and survey ships, and there's all sorts of different things, whatever needed. It all depended on what part of the world was you in. Um, got, got coast of Somalia, um, Oman to Egypt used to be quite a favourite run. Um, anything we went through a place called the uh, the Babel Mendip which is a a short channel that lets you cut past Egypt and miss a, miss a huge part of going round so if you don't use that you've got to put another three or four days on your on your trip on a, on a, on a vessel so a lot of companies obviously because of cost and fuel and everything else they wanted to use that but anytime you used that because the channel come in so great they used to come out from Somalia and used to attack you quite easily and they knew that there was a ship every probably 10-15 minutes would pass through there wow so if they, if, if they, to start with, we weren't armed, but when we become armed, if we were armed, they'd normally just wait for the next one because, you know, they just knew that they didn't need, didn't need the hassle of it. Yeah. So in these type of environments, was there any time that you saw something really, really scary and quite controversial? Not so much on the on the ships, but certainly Iraq and Afghanistan, you see it all the time, yeah. What's I the mean, worst thing you saw? <sighs> I mean, what's worse? I don't know. Probably the worst thing you could think of seeing. To be honest, is not much. Any details? Um, so you see a lot of burning bodies. You see a lot of you know aftermath and bombs. Luckily enough, I you know missed things by a few seconds sometimes, maybe a few minutes. Um, yeah, you see a lot of dead bodies. You get used to seeing dead bodies. Um, you've probably been asked this multiple times, but being forty-five, yeah. Do you ever reflect and think maybe some of my emotions and some of my headspace has been affected because of what I've witnessed? Um, I'd say no, personally. If you ask my girlfriend, she might say different. Um, but I've, I, even when I was younger, when I was a child and that, I never things never sort of got to me that much. Um, and I think that's helped me now for considering the job I, you know, all the work I've done in the past, but I don't really suffer from anything now. Um, you know, PTSD and 
bad dreams. And the only time I ever think about anything um, that I've done back in the past is if something reminds me of it, and that be, could be something like a film, or I bump into one of the lads maybe I worked with that time ago, or you know, it's all with nice things. I don't, I don't see a dead body in a war movie and think, and it takes you back to a place I don't want to be. I don't get anything like that. So um, I'm quite lucky. Okay. But I think, I don't believe, I, I, was, I was born like that, but I think that started at an early age for whatever reason. Yeah. Guys, I wanted to hop on here to once again thank the sponsors of this week's podcast, iSecure Vehicles. When we were searching around for sponsors for the channel, we honestly wanted to get a brand, a company that would give massive amount of value to our audience. And that is definitely iSecure Vehicles. They have a wide range of products which are designed to keep your vehicle, your asset safe and secure. Some of those products are dash cameras, undetected immobilizers and car tracking systems. Head over to iSecure to look at their products and make sure you say that the Stephen Sully Study podcast sent you there. So not my words, but I'm just like, you know, yeah. an outsider. Would you slightly labour yourself as not well. stone cold, <laughs> a bit heartless, maybe? You, you are. I, you always, I always get told I don't show any emotion. I always get told that. And I, I kind of realise I don't. But what I always say is I have got it, you know, and I'm still happy, sad, and everything. I feel as I've no, no different to anyone else. But um, I just don't show it. Yeah, but it doesn't I always say it doesn't mean to say that you don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, okay, um, you know, touched on like, you know, some some really like things that I'm, I'm definitely interested in, but how did you go from doing all of that? And I believe you're, you're, you're a business person that is in the, the close protection arena still, but you, you, you're pivoting now into more acting. And I've got down here, you was in Green Zone, Sherlock Holmes, etc. really, really cool films. How did that all come about? Uh, years ago, back in 2010, um, in fact, let's go back a little bit before, when I was working in Iraq private security, there was an older guy there at the time. He worked in the army where we kept all the weapons. And I said to him, because um, he was quite a bit older than me, I said, what was you doing before you was out here then? He said, oh, I, I was... Uh, I did a bit of, I was doing film work on and off. So I said, what's that? Cause I'd never heard of it. And he said he was a military advisor for the film Troy. So I thought, oh, that sounds quite good. And he told me all about it. And he gave me a phone number. I put it on a, on a card, threw it in my bag. And I knew I couldn't do anything with it because obviously being away, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it. Five years on, something like that, I, when I first moved up to London, um, I unpacked my bag and that card fell out and I thought oh that's that card and I rung it up anyway I got an interview with a company in Shepherd's Bush um, and they said that yeah, the, the book's not open till next summer um, so you know we've got your name but we'll give you a call next year um, and then I went in the gym about three weeks later and come out as a voicemail on my phone the days when I could leave my phone in the gym in the locker rather um, and they said would you go out to, to uh, Morocco to do a film with Matt Damon well, I thought people, some, one of my mates winded me up because I t all the lads knew that I'd put in for this thing anyway. Yeah, yeah. But they told me that it was next year, so I thought someone winded me up. So I Googled it all, and it was all true. I went for a meeting, and within about a week later, I was flying out to Morocco to do the Green Zone. So that was my first movie. I played a, a US Special Forces soldier in that. Um, so that was my first taste of filming and being around it all. Um, and I really enjoyed it and I thought oh this is something I'd like to I was always looking all the time I was working I knew I wasn't going to be a bodyguard and be sort of security person for forever so I was, but I never knew what I wanted to do so I used to enjoy what I was doing at the time but I was always on the lookout as well for what I might do next um, and that always stuck in my mind um, and I've always thought if you ever want to do something you just go and do it which is what I've always done you know if it's time to make a change it might not be now but mm. at some stage you should pick it up and have a go and mm. I went to acting school um, I finished acting school during COVID I say I finished never really finished acting school you always go back back and forth but um, I, was, I was just at um, uh, screen fighting uh, school only uh, three weeks ago I think so you're always, you're always back in, in and out of it um, but yeah I went and, went and sort of qualified as an actor got in the spotlight and uh, I just pursuing that as more of a regular thing now, that's one of the reasons why I finished being a bodyguard as well really yeah but clearly got a business still in it what well, so i want to come back to the, the the whole acting side of stuff but 
your business now, do you consult for companies or individuals or do you actually have personnel going out there to be close protection for, you know, uh, you know, uh, politicians, the royals, etc.? Yeah, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of everything. So we don't just do bodyguards. We do private security in terms of, uh, we don't do pubs and clubs or anything like that, but we still do five-star hotels. Um, we will do private events, sort of high-class or celebrity weddings, that sort of stuff. Um, then obviously there's the bodyguards, residential security um, for people's houses. But then um, we've just started branching out into man guarding and doing uh, building sites because in London there's so much construction at the moment going on there's quite a call for that my um, uh, my, my dad's company does that do they yeah 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 uh, they're called first aid security okay yeah yeah, yeah he does man guarding and stuff key holding as well yeah yeah that's yeah. it yeah. yeah yeah it's quite a big thing for that um so asset protection whatever you know whatever the asset might be it can literally be anything if it needs it so we do a whole range of a whole range of services really um, in terms of advising, if you use our guys, advising comes free anyway, if you know what I mean, that comes as part of it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what, what the lads do now. Have you ever been attacked yourself, like whilst you're working? Uh, nah. No. Nah, nah, not, nah not, not, not what I would consider an attack anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> you're a big fella, you clearly got a military background and, you know, looking after the likes of Rita Ora, Kendall Jenner, Michael Jackson, etc. you need to know how to, how to handle yourself in the event of it happening. Mm. God forbid it does happen, but it, it could happen every so often. Is there anybody that you would say, or any scenario that you would be afraid or would you say you're totally fearless oh, I'm not fearless no uh, but like I said before with no emotion you might think I am but I'm not <laughs> um, look, there's tons of times I've got myself into a place where it, um, you're absolutely sort of shitting yourself you know you're, you're scared to bits but it's being able to still do what you need to do still be able to think clearly and certainly when you're bodyguard you can't show it and, and because imagine you're paying me a lot of money every year to look after and it's all going wrong if I'm scared how's that going to make you feel you know so exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm the only person there but you should look at me and you know on the, for that day I'm the man who should be going don't worry it's going to be fine we're going to do this we're going to do that it's no problem it looks worse than what it really is but in my head I'm thinking the same as you yeah. do you know what I mean so um, I, I think that that um, yeah, I get scared, I get scared all the time. But what's scared? Being scared is only emo an emotion. Same mm. as laughing. Mm. It's just not a nice one, that's all. Laughing, yeah, people like it. Being scared, you don't. But it's still only an emotion. You just got to get over it. Very, very true. So with the whole film career, is that something that you really, really want to uh, get your teeth sunk into and, and become quite a world-famous actor? Yeah, I think anything, in any occupation... Ever, you know, you want to, you'd always want to try and do your best, regardless of what it is. So, yeah, whether it's a, whether it's world famous, I don't know, but um, I'd like to do the best I certainly can do myself. Yeah, um, mm. you know, I work quite hard on um, getting around and meeting the right people and do because there is a lot of casting involved, but also it is a lot of sort of who you know as well. You know, you have to be involved, especially for the big films. So um, a lot of it's in the states for us. The UK film industry is not that big compared to the States. So I have to mix my time up with pe people in, in the UK and talking to people out in the States. But yeah, I mean, it's just to keep cracking. It's like anything that you crack away at it, you'll get there in the end. Mm. Uh, Green Zone, you said Matt Damon. Mm. Sherlock Holmes is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And then also you've got his sidekick in it, which is... Jude Law. Jude Law. These are really famous people. And then obviously, you know, on the other film sets, you must have met lots and lots of successful you know, celebrity, movie stars, Hollywood actors, etc. Who has been the most famous person on the set that you've met and worked with? Um, probably Matt Damon. What I was guess. he like to, to work with? Yeah, he was all right. I mean, so when you're at that level, um, you come in and out for when you're needed. So like he was only out there for, I think he showed up for a few days of the first week. And then we didn't see him. He shut off somewhere else again and come back, you know, like four weeks in or something. So they're not around every single day. Um, but I'll tell you what I did do. Actually, I doubled for Dave Batista in the movie Final Score. Right. Um, 
and I didn't get to meet him because I was doing all the double work basically I just did what he wasn't there for um, but I mean he's quite up there in terms of Marvel and all that sort of thing and he's, mm. he does quite a bit but I never got to meet him unfortunately but yeah prob- probably Matt Damon I mean, with all these people that you've looked after and also worked alongside in 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 your businesses or, or you know the fashion and 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 the, and the acting and stuff, have you ever been um, starstruck? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, I've never even when I was a kid, I never had a hero. I never, you know, I don't know what probably arrogant this is actually, but I've always when I when I was younger. If I saw something which I thought could have been a hero, I never used to think I want to be them. I used to think I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to I'm going to do that because it wasn't particularly the person that was a hero. It's what they was doing, what you like normally mm. when you have a hero. So rather than be that person, why not be yourself and do it? Yeah, great. And that's the way I always looked at it. So no, I didn't. I didn't grow up. There's only one person, quite a lot of. So I've been in over sixty publications, you know, uh, Vogue, GQ, L, all these different types of ones for various different matters. And one of the things a lot of them used to pick up on was the Jason Statham thing. So I've I've been branded as that quite quite a few times over the years, which is worse people to look like, I suppose. But um, I'd like to meet him, and I'd like to work with I'd like to work with work with him just because of the amount of time I hear his name every five minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be nice to do something, Jason, if I could. But have you got any big films in the pipeline that you're going to be a part of? Uh, next year is a couple. I'm not really able to say what they are yet because first of all, I don't know what order they're going to be running in. But two, there's going to be two two big ones in the UK next year, um, or certainly one next year, and then the second one might. Filmmaking's a bit all over the place, so um, it was a big strike, wasn't it? Yeah, we just finished that now. Um, so that helped. I did have one nice one in the states, which kind of got put or lost nearly eight months, I think it was, or something like that in the end. Um, so hopefully, I'm hoping I'm hoping next year is going to be a better year for sure than this year because we missed out quite a bit this year. Yeah. yeah. Best thing about it is though, because everyone's striked, it all seems to be all guns blazing now that everyone's really getting out there and getting back into it properly. So yeah, next year is looking a lot more promising. 2024. Yeah. Um, so. Modeling men's fashion, uh, ID magazine, Vogue, Joshua's magazine. I mean, these are really, really cool things. Um, are, are you, are you a, are you a model? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I don't really know how I got in, how that happened. I never sort of proclaimed to be a model. Um, and never wanted to be a model as such, but. Uh, I think when I was bodyguard, I used to get picked up quite a lot uh, working with Bella for what I was wearing and stuff. So I think around that time, that kind of where that came from, where other publications would sort of decide and wanted to do pieces on me about um, clothing and, and that sort of thing, what I used to wear. Um, and I always used to get asked the question, you know, did you used to dress for the job and everything else? But I didn't, you know, I've always worn nice clothes, what I consider to be nice anyway. You know, I've always worn decent stuff. So um, the only difference on that job was you could wear what you wanted, as long as it's within keeping of what you're doing for the day. You could wear what you wanted. Um, and that's why I just got, you know, got picked up really, because so just because of what I wear. I mean, maybe, like, uh bit of a flaw for me but I should have probably looked at some of the photos that they're referring uh, to but yeah they must see you as a bit of a, a fashion dare I say it, like guru in order to, to to write this sort of stuff about you what type of stuff was you wearing when you were looking after better uh, headed um, so I think um, one of the things Vogue put out was Bella Hadid's bodyguard bodyguard is the real um, what was it the real style of London Fashion Week or something like that they put out a big article on it um, and all I had on was a bomber jacket um, black t-shirt and a pair of jeans I think I'd put Louis Vuitton trainers on or something like that but I mean <laughs> pretty much we've got now <laughs> exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's. I, I, if, I get where they're coming from. I mean, basically, if you ask anyone, if you didn't say names, you're wearing jeans, shirt, and trainers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, but maybe maybe the stuff I was wearing wasn't, you know, what you normally would see with a, with a bodyguard. I don't know. But for me, it was very much normal. Yeah. Just circulating back when you came into the gallery earlier. Um, I mentioned about you know some of the close protection that some of the people have within within this building, um, and I think more and more and more and more certainly in 
I, I reckon in a lot of major cities, westernised cities, it's probably become a lot more rife. Muggings, stabbings, dare I say it, there's shootings and stuff, and there's just hostile kind of environments and situations, and, and people are becoming a lot more desperate. I mean, when you see things like mortgage rates going up, costs of living going up, uh, pending recession, depressions, you know, people losing their jobs left, right and centre, you are seeing a big gap between people that have and people that have not. And therefore, the people that have not or feel like they've got no other choice but to go out there and start robbing people in a quite a violent way is becoming more normal. And it's scary, right? It really is scary. I mean, looting as well. I mean, that is, that's, that's something that's just t- almost taken off in the last yeah, decade, yeah. you know? That never used to happen when I was younger, really. But now it just seems like a more commonplace than ever before. Um, what's your take on, like, watch Robin within London? Is it something that the government and the authorities can control, or do you think it's completely out of their control? No, I think it's gone too far, and that's well out of their control. Well out, and, and the problem is, there's two things to it. So you got the, you got the, the, the gap between the rich and the poor now, which is obviously causing more of it. But also, we haven't got the police officers. We just haven't got the police officers, anymore. and they keep saying yes, we have, and they they change things around the way they do it to say that we don't need as many as we used to because we do this now. We do. It, it's, there's no way, you know. This is why people rob so much now because they know they can get away with it. They don't. I think we spoke about something earlier. You said that, that someone smashed a car and he just walked off, didn't even run off. It happens all the time now. They don't. They're not scared of getting caught by anybody. But they just d- d- do it as and when they want, as much as they want. And a ninety-nine point to get caught, you're going to be very, very, very unlucky. Like very unlucky. And uh, just, just you look at when the police turn up now. If it's um, even if it's a small thing, you'll still see three or four police cars, and you'll look at that and you think, "Cool, that's a big, that must be a big problem." Four police cars. It's not. It's a small problem, but they're all single crewed. So effectively, it's only three, four police officers turned up. Amount of single crewed police officers you see around London now, you shouldn't be single crewed as a police officer in this country. It's madness. Mm. You know, it's a double minimum. You should never be single crewed. Mm. But they, all you see, it's all, all now what happens is as soon as you're going to a call, another car, it's two cars gone straight away because to make it a normal team because you're single crewed. So, and, and I see that every day. So people can't say it's not happening. Oh, that guy was just going to do this. He wasn't, you know, it's, it's, it's fact. It's happening all the time. So unless they rip it to bits and really punch some money. And the other thing is, it's not appealing for people to be police officers anymore. Mm. Their money's not great. And the job's getting harder so the, you know the benefits and the money's gone rubbish over the years the perks of it all um, and the job's getting tougher well, that's, not, that's always going to fall, start falling to pieces that is yeah so like the risk to the reward to reward yeah. yeah I mean there's no reward of getting stabbed in the neck is there but at the end of the day you still need something to put you know all these people have got families and children and you got just to want for the job is not enough anymore let's put it like that I think yeah. you know you do jobs like that because you want to do it which is fine but it's just not enough you know, they need more than what they're getting yeah I mean look if they said you're going to get 100 to 200 grand a year depending on how how much experience you've got how you know what status you are within the police force etc but there is a chance a couple of times a year you could be stabbed or shot at um are you up for it and then you can make that call but if it's a lot less than that you're like well i, I mean i'm seeing it every single day on tv that people are being shot at and they are police officers as well some people are being killed and I don't really have the support behind me that they should be given. And the money isn't that great. What is the point? What's the point, yeah. And look, I'm, this is a real kind of dangerous subject for me to, to raise because if it's taken in the wrong context, I might be branded something myself. But I was speaking to people in the military. I've actually got a guy who's about to leave the military and we've been waiting for him to leave in order for him to basically talk about it. But he was saying... In the police force and also in the army, they're bringing on, how can I say it without even sounding like a, (laughs) they're trying to include other types of individuals, transgender, gay, lesbian. And it's not because of their, their strengths. It was more just a tick couple boxes to say the army or the police force have actually 
bought this demographic on and again listen i don't care your religion your race your gender your sex i that none of that matters it, what matters is about your skill set your mindset your attitude towards something but don't just hire somebody because it ticks one of your boxes and he said this is where the police force and the army is going it's not because of their skill set, it's more about ticking boxes. How how true is that, Simon? Yeah, hundred percent. One of the biggest problems of it is, is political correctness for one, but also they can't get people to join. And when you can't get people to join, obviously you can flower it up and make it all, all you know, sound all great to try and get people in that way. But that's got a shelf life on it. So then, what do you do after that? Well, you have to lower the criteria of what you need for people to get in. So certainly in the military now, I think you can be a reservist up until the age of. 58 maybe 55 something like that um i mean i think i don't know exactly so going back quite a long way but i think once you got to for the regular army it might have even been 32 or something and that was it i can't remember um it might have been less if you go back to the sort of 80s but mm. all the category of you know fitness tests that's all come down now that's all done on age now when you was in the army as time went on you did get slightly more time for your age but the joining the joining stage everyone had to do the same timings um the, the, each regiment had its different timings normally or some were similar but you had to have sort of a, a young lad's timing now you can because because they've because they've changed the age, you can't expect a 55-year-old to go and join the RAF regiment, a reserve or whatever, and do a nine and a half minute, mile and a half. Do you know what I mean? So, so they've had to change all that. So that's, that's where it all starts from. And you can see it with police officers now, particularly, is it's not just, it's the PlayStation generations come up now as well. People's life skills aren't quite what they used to be for one reason or another. And that's all filtering into the police. And there's probably a lot of people in the police force now that they wouldn't have taken as little as five or ten years ago, which they're having to now because they're so undermanned and they can't get people to join. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if people are defending your country and defending your local area, whether we're talking about the police force or any kind of special forces or... or you know any yeah any any of these uh organizations you would want i know who i want to protect like if i was if my house was being robbed for example or there was a threat my wife and kids i know who i want i know who i want straight away and uh, dare i say it, i'm i want absolutely focused hard blokes who are uh educated they're fit, they're strong, they're diligent, they're aware, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're the whole package. Yeah, I don't yeah. want someone that is slightly fit, slightly got bottle, slightly hard. I want somebody that is absolute 10 out of 10, they're, they're on the job. And unfortunately, it feels like it's just all about inclusion now. Let's just bring people in because politically correct, ticking boxes, maybe they're struggling to find these 10 out of 10 type of individuals and they're just lowering their own standards now in order just to make up the numbers but the problem with that is then the culture starts to die off yeah. and then when you're when you're you're being direct to someone they're like oh you're hurting my feelings you're triggering me and then you just get all this snowflakey type stuff it's a bit of a weird cycle that this economy is in don't you think it is if you go to somewhere like um France, Germany, Spain, even go out to like maybe Norway, you look at their police officers, pretty much everyone, if not all of them, they look like, half of them look better than our, some of our soldiers. Not forget about the police officers, you know, they're, they're not all men, there's some are female as well, but they're all strong, physically fit, they've got all the right kit and equipment you'd expect to see on a police officer for a capital city. Um, they've got batons, constant they use them on you as well um when you when you when you see them you don't want to do anything wrong you don't want to get caught by them when you see a police here i think in the uk now um it's just a police officer well i mean you see it on social media like you'll have predominantly young guys and i'm not saying they're they're, they're totally in the wrong because there are times when the police will aggravate young groups yeah, yeah. of young guys yeah. and, and wrongly but then the other side is true where they will take the mick and piss out of a police officer 
because it's a way of flexing their muscles it's a way of showing off maybe mm. trying to get a bird or mm. she's trying to get a bloke and she's just trying to show off how strong she is or whatever and they're doing it for social media c- credit right but in some countries the moment you raise your voice to a police officer like that you're being slapped down yeah, yeah, straight yeah. away yeah. there is none of that there's no. no disrespect yeah. it's almost like if you disrespect the military you're disrespecting the government or disrespecting the royals. I mean, you try and pull that move in the UAE to a Dubai oh, yeah. <laughs> police officer. Yeah. Uh, you, you are going to know about yourself very, very quickly. Yeah. And it, and it, I think we've lost that a bit. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we, we, we it's never been as harsh as that in this country, anyway. But what we did, what we did have, was we had a lot more um, respect for police officers, but more so because people were more worried about. I don't care about it anymore. I don't mm. care what they can do. And and. For whatever reason, I don't know the, um, why this is, but people don't care. Don't seem to care so much about going to prison anymore, neither. Prison doesn't seem to be such a big thing for people. Um, well, I can think of nothing worse myself, but um, you know, it, it, it just—it's it, a changing world. But the problem with it is, is I don't believe we're—you know—the authorities aren't changing enough with it. Mm, yeah, agreed. Your next couple of projects down the line Simon to round off like this podcast and to let the audience know what you're going to do next there's some big films in the pipeline as you alluded to you obviously got your businesses you've got your clothing brands what 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 can people look forward to or what can you be promoting right now over the next couple of months over the next few years Simon yeah so um probably the next few years is a clothing brand Simon Newton London that that's only just started so um we're sort of getting that out there uh, that's doing quite well at the moment and probably films next year things with films next year if we film anything next year you won't see it until 2025 so it might look like I've not done a lot next year <laughs> although actually I could have done a lot you know but yeah yeah. Um, yeah I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up um, next year 24 and 25 I've got a lot you should see a lot more of me that's good stuff good stuff when I'm rich and famous and successful and yeah and all that other stuff perhaps there will be a call from me to you saying I need some close protection but <laughs> but but until that moment in time um I I really really appreciate your time today mate and 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 sharing some some of some of your story and your journey I always ask my guests this last question I came up with my own mantra a bit like how Rob Moore asked his guests about disruptors yeah mm-hmm. what does disruptive mean to you mm-hmm. well my my uh catchphrase or my uh mantra or you know uh, um incantation is be happy never content so if i were to ask simon newton what does what is your interpretation of be happy never content uh always achieving always achieving because as soon as you've achieved you're not happy anymore the happiness is to achieve, you know, going towards doing something. If you always wanted a million pounds, and I gave you a million pounds, what, what, where's the want? The want's gone. So yeah, I think you'll be surprised at how many people actually are unhappy when they've achieved what they've been trying to achieve for the last ten years. Yeah, because ten years of happiness trying to achieve it. Agreed. Agreed. Simon, thank you very much for your time. Be happy, never content. Make sure you're following this man. And uh, once again, really, really appreciate today's conversation, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers.